Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. My name is Maryam. And my name is Nazmeen. Welcome to Build Out Within, the podcast where we share essential knowledge and get valuable insight into the experiences of inspiring speakers from all around the world. On the episode today, we have Sister Um Zakia, who is an internationally acclaimed author, entrepreneur, speaker, and educator based in Washington, D.C., she helps Muslim women become the best version of themselves. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Um Zakia. We are very happy to have you as a guest. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and thank you for having me. You are very welcome. We would like to begin by asking you about your own journey. So, could you share your journey with us on how you became an author and soul care mentor? My journey began, I would have to say, in childhood because I've always loved to write ever since I was a child and I have no memories of never, you know, writing or anything like that. I don't have memories of learning to read or write. I just have memories of writing and reading as a child and I would express myself in that way for just as long as I can remember. And I always felt in my heart that I would be a writer. And the question just was, how would I go about that? I went through different stages of thinking maybe I would do script writing for movies. And then I kind of realized that the world of Hollywood was not very interested in my spiritual messages. At least that's what I felt at that time. And I also was writing books. And I think that one of the things that really, really inspired the perspective that I have today in terms of how I write and what I write about is I remember one day my father, because my parents converted to Islam, and one day my father was reading from the Quran after Fajr, and he got to the ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah that has been translated to mean that it's describing those who, the believers, the mutaqun, the people you know of taqwa, who are, they are those who spend out of what Allah has provided for them. You know, and, and I was young at that time. I, I don't know, maybe early teens, maybe even pre-teens. And I remember thinking to myself, Allah provided me with the gift of writing, the gift of the pen. So I have to spend it for whatever he likes. And I can't just use this for whatever I like. And so I remember that's really staying with my heart for many years. And it may have been, I may have even been younger than that. I, just, I don't remember, but I was just, and I had not written any published books or anything at that time. I was so young. And that always stuck with me that when Allah gives you something, whether it's money, whether it's health, whether it's talent, your job is to spend out of what Allah has provided for you for his sake. And my first book ended up being published in 2001. I had finished college a couple of years before that. And in that particular book, I wanted to share with the world through the eyes of someone who's learning about Islam for the first time, but from actual Muslims who love their faith. Because I had never seen a book that actually presented Islam from the point of view, from a spiritual standpoint, from Muslims who actually love their faith in a novel format. It was always kind of like an Orientalist type presentation or this idea of Muslims constantly presenting themselves like, we're just like you, we're just like you, till the spiritual part of our faith was watered down till it became pretty much nothing. So I wanted to show the world from my heart, sharing what does it look like when you, when you look at Islam through the eyes of people who either are not Muslim and genuinely interested in learning the truth, 
or people who are actually living it. And my prayer during that time was, oh Allah, make this book a guide to whomever you wish to guide and may it be a proof against those who will not be guided. And that's the prayer I made. I would make it in the last third of the night. I would pray to Raqqad at the Qiyam and then I would write and I would pray to Raqqad and then I would write. After I published it, I didn't know what would happen, but my first orders for the book came from Australia and the UK before the even before even the United States. And I don't 100% know why, but I think it was like a couple of people who were my friends who had read it or some of the people in the community had started talking on chat rooms at that time and sharing it. And then from that, professor at Howard University discovered it in the small bookshop at the local masjid, adopted it in his class and so on and so forth. And then it began to spread from there. SubhanAllah, that's so beautiful and that's so inspiring how you went into detail about your journey. And you always remembered Allah through every step. Every time you lifted the pen and you started writing, you remembered Allah and you supplicated to Allah. Allah made it a means of success for you. May Allah grant all your books, the ones that you have written on the basis of Islam as a foundation, as a means of good deeds for you in your account on the Day of Judgment. Allahumma ameen. So I would like to ask you, what examples of life lessons can you give us that will help other women with their spiritual and emotional health? I think that the biggest life lesson that I've personally learned is that you have to establish a personal relationship between you and Allah and you and the Quran. Because we live in a time that unfortunately the information about Islam, even that's available to Muslims, and I don't mean information in terms of five pillars, the six you know articles of faith, how to pray. I mean the actual spiritual depth and emotional depth that some of the earlier Muslims understood automatically and that were conveyed in some of the earlier books that are mostly in Arabic, we don't really have that connection. And so what happens to a lot of women is that we are filtering our own literal spiritual experiences through the life teachings and interpretations of men. And what I mean by that, I don't mean, or I should say perspectives, I don't mean in terms of a religious ruling that's going to change because it's from a woman. I mean, the experience of the female soul is not really a part of this generation. And that's a tragedy. We are close to to the day of judgment and we don't really know what that even means. Because whenever I mention this, a lot of times the response comes, oh, this is feminism. I'm like, no, I'm not talking about an ideology change. I'm talking about a perspective of empathy for the female soul. For example, I would give example. When we talk about hijab, the perspective 99% of the time is centered around the male gaze. It is centered around why we wear hijab. It's either because if we don't wear hijab, we're going to turn on men. And if men see us, then we're trying to be pretty in front of them. Okay. Now these things, it's not so much that the hijab does not protect us from certain things. This is not the point that I'm getting at. But Allah, when he gives us commands, he centers the commands around the purification of our souls. Okay? So when we get into these conversations and we grow up or we were in classes, and I was affected by this in ways that I didn't even know until I started to have a spiritual breakdown, that where do I belong? And so we center the conversations around a female's soul around other people's experience instead of 
what does it do for the female soul to obey Allah? To her soul, regardless of what a man is experiencing, regardless of what is happening in her marriage. Like, for example, we have sayings that say this is the status of women in Islam. And they will say that when she's a wife, one of the sayings is saying something like when she's a wife, she fulfills half of the deen for her husband. When she's a daughter, she, you know, gets these blessings when she's, but no, nobody ever said when she's a believing soul worshiping Allah, here's who she is. But in Islam, in the Quran, that is the message. The message is that we start with the soul. Nothing wrong with mentioning the benefits of being a wife. Nothing wrong with mentioning the benefits of being a mother. Nothing wrong with mentioning the benefits that we get for serving our parents. All of these things are part of Islam. But the core experience of the female is a worshiper of Allah alone with her Lord. Even if hypothetically her parents were not Muslim and they were angry with her, or if they were Muslim and they didn't agree with her practice. What about this person? Women who are in toxic, abusive marriages or going through divorce or not married, do they have a place? Or women who have been tested with not having a child go through her womb, where does she belong? Okay. And so we get lost in these extremes of centering conversations around other people's experiences. And when someone says, like I said, I remember writing for a Muslim website and was saying, you know, we have to get back to the female soul obeying Allah for the sake of her own soul, for the sake of pleasing her Rabb, no matter what effect or non-effect it has on the people around her. Because when we worship Allah, it has a good effect on people around us. However, everyone is not going to react to us in a good way. So we have to understand, like, for example, when I was in Saudi Arabia, I gave this example one time when I was writing about this topic. I wore the abaya ala ras. I wore the jilbab on top of the head, all covered with niqab. And I loved dressing like that, mashallah. However, still there would be, oh, the slit in your veil is attempting men and it was constant things like that and I was saying with people that that taught me that I had to focus on what I was doing regardless of what a man might think because I was not doing anything wrong in my dress you know we all make mistakes in our lives but in my clothing I was doing the absolute you know strictest opinion the safest opinion for me at that time still I was bothered but what it taught me was I have to establish a relationship with Allah and so when I shared this on this website, one of the responses and several responses from the men were, why are you introducing the alien religion of feminism into Islam? SubhanAllah, imagine we live in a time where a believer says to another believer, get back to ikhlas, get back to obeying Allah for the sake of your soul. And it's called feminism. This is the world we live in. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and experiences on this topic. And I think it's really interesting how you mentioned this because we know as Muslims that the reason for our existence in this world is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we know from Quran, Surah 51, Ayah 56, we were created for worshiping him. What we also learn from the Quran is that men were created differently than women. And it's so essential that every single person Every single Muslim has this personal relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Quran and understanding our self-worth through that lens because we hear a lot of people talking about self-worth 
but we have to understand that our worth ultimately comes from our creator, comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, and also something that I would like to add to this is that we are living in a world that is changing so fast, so quickly, and we need something that does not change. We need something to go back to. And that is the Quran. It does not change. The promises of Allah are true and will always be true. So thank you very much for sharing that. And also something that just came to my mind is that there are examples in the Quran of females of the wife of Fir'aun, for example, or the mother of Isa, salam. Those are examples that we can definitely learn from to develop our personal relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So thank you very much for sharing that. You're welcome, mashallah. Yeah, and I personally find inspiration from those stories, honestly, from Maryam salam, or radiallahu anha, all of the women who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about and we see he gives the example in Surah Tahrim at the end of, you know, we have the, the women who were not, you know, doing what they're supposed to do. And then we have these worshipers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who are female souls because of who they were as a soul. And so, you know, I find a lot of inspiration in that. So I appreciate you mentioning that. And I think that that's what I would tell women is you have to have a personal, daily, constant relationship with your salah, with the Quran. And I would say in this world, with Qiyam this is my personal opinion. Obviously, it's not obligatory to get up for Qiyam but I truly believe that we cannot be fully emotionally and spiritually healthy without Qiyam as a part of our life. This is what I believe. SubhanAllah, definitely. You also talked about the time you spent in Saudi Arabia. So the next question I would like to ask you is that you have studied in different countries and got to know different cultures and customs and different environments. Would you like to share some of your experiences with us and the lessons you have learned from your time abroad? I would say that there are so many lessons that I have learned from it. I don't know which one to pick, but I would say that the experience has been a blessing and a challenge because I saw so much beauty in being in areas where Islam was common. But I also saw so many challenges because so much of how we practice Islam today has shifted away from the sunnah of the Prophet Things like racism, nationalism, these things tend to unfortunately color a lot of the, the predominantly Muslim regions more than the experience of the spiritual part of Islam. But alhamdulillah, by Allah's mercy, you always have groups of people who are worshiping Allah. And I was blessed to be able to connect with them, to learn Arabic, to learn Quran, to study more about my faith. And I will always hold in my place, especially Saudi Arabia, a special place because I was able to go to the Kaaba, to the Masjid al Nabawi on the weekend. It's like, if, it's like now, you know, it's very hard coming back to the United States because you know, when I feel that stress and I just want to go and sit in front of the Kaaba for a day and just do Umrah and just pray in the, the Haram, you know, I, I can't do that. And I was able to do that when I lived in Saudi Arabia. I was able to take a weekend trip to Medina, to Mecca for stress relief, you know. And the Quran teachers that I met in Egypt, that I met in Saudi Arabia, amazing, mashallah. And I think that also when I was there doing teacher training and these sorts of things, consulting, Having that experience to having to interact with the regular people, the youth, it taught me, I think one of the most powerful things besides the spiritual benefit that I got is it taught me to appreciate what I call today, I, this is what I call the language of the heart. 
And what I mean by that is that when you go into different cultures, you find different practices. And even when you're trying to communicate, I'm speaking in Arabic, though it's not my native language. They're speaking in English to me sometimes. It's not their native language. And so a lot of things get lost in translation on either side. But what happens is, is that when we are sincere and we're trying to understand each other, we actually begin to communicate with the heart. That was probably one of the most powerful experiences is learning how to listen and communicate with the heart, even though we're using primarily our tongues. Because sometimes when, like for example, if I'm teaching early university or high school, you know, they will have expressions that they're saying in English that they borrow from television, movies, songs, and they can be very offensive. But, you know, Allah blessed me through the time there to say, okay, let me pause. Let me try to understand what they're saying in their heart more than their tongue. And I found that that experience has truly made me take a pause with everyone in my life, whether it's someone from my own culture, whether it's someone from a different country, because it made me realize that even in just interacting with people, we know so many things get lost in translation because they're trigger words and so on and so forth. But learning to speak and communicate with the language of the heart, I think that has been one of the most powerful lessons that I learned through my travels and that I take with me wherever I go. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so profound that you communicated with everyone that you met in those countries. And the first thing that you wanted to establish was the connection and the language of the heart and how we sometimes forget that because sometimes whatever is uttered on the tongue, we just take that literally and we don't really pause and reflect on what is said to us. We just take it as it is. However, learning to take the language and the communication from the heart makes you pause and reflect. You build a different connection with people and every person that you, you meet uh, that's touched your life, you remember them. And it can happen like years later, you, you might remember one particular incident where you was with a particular set of students that you were teaching somewhere. They've asked you a question. However, you've dissected that question and you wanted to know how is this connected to the heart? How can I communicate this with the heart? So that's such a different perspective that I've learned from you today that we do need to actually communicate and become more sincere and use communication from the heart. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, Sister Umzakia. Could you tell us about why it's important to be a lifelong student? Because our soul is still in our body. That's why. I mean, you know, subhanAllah, because we, we sometimes get into these mindsets all of us, I struggle with it each day. This is why it's called jihad enough. You know, it's, it's a trial. It's a battle each day. We get into these spaces where we begin to tell ourselves these narratives, either good or bad, about ourselves, and we feel stuck or we feel proud of ourselves. We have kibber sometimes. And I've, I've been in conversations with people who, you know, let's say, for example, I'm working on a project or it's someone I know personally, and one person in the discussion who's probably the actual main person causing the problems and we're trying to diplomatically come to a solution and they will say a statement like, well, I know myself and I never do X, Y, and Z, but they were actually doing that very thing, which is what caused the entire problem, you know? And so when we don't listen and pay attention to what's actually happening in front of us with our tongues, with our actions, we can get lost in narratives that actually can take us on the path that Iblis took. Where like, no, I'm not, I'm not listening to you. You, you, who are you? I know myself better. It's like, and I remember explaining to someone that 
It's not about who you are. It's about what you're doing, what any of us are doing. Who we are is, is actually of the light. We need to remember that. None of us know who we truly are. We will find it on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. This is in the Lawh Mahfub. It's in the preserved tablet. So this idea that when a problem happens, I'm not going to face up to what I did wrong because I refuse to accept the consequences of my actions on what they did to someone, what the impact they had on someone else. This can destroy our souls. Now, I am not talking about someone in an abusive situation and then someone's gaslighting them. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a very real incident happens and we refuse to acknowledge the impact. And this is something that I had a conversation with one of my sisters and she made a very good point. She said, sometimes when a problem happens, we have to shift the topic from intentions to impact. We can assume that we have good intentions. We can assume that. Inshallah, we're all striving to be good people. But what was the impact of your tongue? What was the impact of your actions? And when you sit with that, you have to also say, what was it that Allah decreed that the angels wrote in my book at that moment? And if we're honest with ourselves, we don't know. So if we're not students every single day, then we can throw ourselves to ruin and become like the people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about at the end of Surah Al-Kahf. When he's asking what has been translated to mean, shall I tell you, of those who lose the most. Okay. With respect to their deeds, it's these people they're doing all they're doing all of this good and they're thinking they're earning all this good and they lose the most. They lose the most in the hereafter. And the opposite is also true. You have us sometimes we do something and we admit that we did something wrong. We know that we did something wrong. We know the impact on people around us, people we love, is not good. But then we go into despair. I'm a terrible person. I'm this again, just like it is wrong to decree yourself as a good person and that you don't have to self-reflect, it is equally wrong to decree yourself as a bad person and it's all over with. Both of them come from a disconnect from the tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and taking the job of Allah and assigning it to yourself. It is not our job to declare ourselves to be good or bad people. It is our job to strive our level best to be repentant, number one, Repented, constantly asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us while having with the hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his rahmah, in offering us maghfirah, in his mercy, in offering us forgiveness, that he will write us down amongst those people who are doing good because we don't give up, because we remain a student, and because we realize that this soul in our body is still there and until it's taken out and we are given the results of our time on this earth, we have no choice but to be a student. That is such a powerful reminder. Thank you so much for sharing that. Jazakallahu khairan. It sounds so simple, right? When you said, because our soul is still in our body, it sounds so simple, but it's so true and it's so profound because we are alive. And again, going back to the reason why we are here, we are here to worship. And even for that, we need knowledge. We need knowledge about who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and who we are. And also, you said it so beautifully, we don't really know the outcome of what we do. Of course, always have to check our intention and always have to make sure that we do whatever we do for the sake of Allah. But at the end, powerful reminder, we will face everything we did on the day of judgment. So that makes it even more important to seek knowledge and to 
be on the journey of bettering ourselves to become a better servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, when we seek knowledge, one thing that we realize is how little we know and how much more yes. there is. Yes, yes. I really like how some people put it as knowledge is an ocean with no shore. So once we are there, we realize that it doesn't really end. It's, it's endless. SubhanAllah. The next question I would like to ask you is what has been essential for you in your journey to reach the goals you have set for yourself? Truly, it's essential for me. I would say, of course, you have the spiritual and you have the worldly. But I find that they, the more I live, I find that they overlap more than we realize. I would say that the foundation of everything good that has come is really from Allah. I want to acknowledge that before I even mention my worship, because the good that we get is not because of our worship. I, I think that sometimes we, when we make dua and we get our duas answered, sometimes I find many people online, they're saying, here's what you have to do. Just have faith, make dua. That's true, but we have to start with Allah's qadr. Allah decides the result. Allah decides who gets a good result. Someone, for example, could be making dua every single day, crying to Allah, and actually in front of Allah, be more beloved to him. However, in this world, he does not give this person a lot. They're asking for the same exact thing as someone else. He gives them just a little of what they ask for. One person just casually says, okay, God, if you're really there, give me this. And Allah just gives it to them, right? So the first thing for reaching my goals is that I realize, and I have to remind myself of this because when I start stressing, is Allah is the one who decides what happens. Not me, not my actions, not my dua, Allah. And Allah is the one who inspired me to make the dua for what he already decided he's going to give me. My own practice is to remind myself of that because when we are centering our understanding of what's happening in our life, there's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is above all of the creation, controlling everything. It makes no sense to get so frustrated and angry and in despair and jealous and have hasad and why is this person getting that thing? You know, I, I wrote a book that I just released actually in this last week. It's called, What Did You Expect? It's lessons on spiritual honesty. So I wrote this as a reminder to myself, what did you expect? These lessons on spiritual honesty. And so for me, when I look at meeting my goals and the things that are happening, that's the most important part is to remember that whatever I'm doing, everything before we were put on this earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he commanded when he created the pen before we were here, he commanded it to write and it wrote everything that's going to happen till the day of judgment. And then we were put on earth. Then we were put on earth. So my practice is I truly believe that no khair, no good, I don't care what it looks like in this world, no good can come to us if we do not have a healthy relationship with Allah and a healthy relationship with our souls. So salah, Quran, qiyam, dua, istikhara is a part of my life. Making the dua for making a decision like water is a part of my, my diet. I don't write anything, whether even if it's just a blog or social media post, except I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first. Okay. And then when it comes to meeting my actual goals, 
when I, and, and, I'm, and by the way, that includes this podcast. So when you ask me about the podcast, I had to take a bit of time, you know, and I had to go look and I had to ask Allah, you know. So then when it comes to my writing, the main thing I find is the same thing the Prophet ﷺ talked about with doing good deeds. Do it good, even if, you know, consistently, even if it's small. And that's how I work every single day toward whatever goal that I'm working toward. Do something consistently, even if it is small. SubhanAllah, thank you so much. You've shared so much valuable wisdom, so much gems on this podcast. And you are truly right. We need to ask Allah and ask for Allah's help through every decision that you make. And we're very happy that you took your time and you agreed to come on our podcast by ways of making istihara. Some of the things that I just wanted to touch upon is that when we are reaching our goals and sometimes they start off as small goals in your case, because subhanAllah, you've written a lot of books in excess of 25 and just going back and rewinding and starting off with the first book, the one that you wrote, that was maybe just completing that and publishing that, that would have been like a goal that you've set and a timeline that you set it against. But for then for you to continue and write, even though that's, you know, something that you love doing, writing, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, and then for them goals to become bigger goals or audacious goals, but then always remembering that even though the goals are becoming bigger and you want to put your imprint onto the world, you know, so that you can help people with your words, what you write. But still going back to the basic, which is what every Muslim should do, is have that connection with the Quran, have the connection with Salah, make your istihara, always have that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before you do anything else. And even when the goals become bigger and, you know, you, you have fame or, or whatnot, you always humble yourself and remember that you are creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's how we should always look at ourselves and it's something that's very powerful to us as well because when we're going down in sujood and when we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we're crying and we're asking and making dua and you know we've got something coming up and we need some guidance we don't know what to decide it puts everything into perspective right and like I said salah and Quran is nourishment for the soul which is very essential for every Muslim as well. To get this nourishment every single day is like us eating food. It's food for the soul as well. So thank you so much, Jazakallah Khair, for sharing all your wonderful wisdom with us. I would like to ask you one last question. Throughout this podcast, you've given us wonderful wisdom and so many pieces of advice that we can take and our listeners can take from there as well. But we would like to ask you if you could give us a piece of advice you find extremely crucial or maybe a tip you wish someone had told you in the past. A tip in terms of for my worldly or spiritual or which angle? It's entirely your choice. Wow, that's a very deep question, mashallah, that I wish. <laughs> exactly, I didn't had. know that that would um, stump you. <laughs> yeah, because you know why it stumps me? Because... You know, I'm at a time in my life when I, I, did, I think I'm going into my fifth month of being divorced, my second. And I'm still, <laughs> there are so many things I wish that I had known. But the, the, what gives me pause is when you say that someone had told me, you know, yeah. because I do believe that there are so many things I wish I had known. Yes. But I don't believe that anyone could have told me because they are lessons that can only be gained through 
the experience of the actual soul going through life. Right. Yeah. Because this is why it gave me pause. You know, I can say, I wish someone told me that, for example, one of the things that comes to my mind off the top of my brain is I wish someone had told me that you can do everything right, quote unquote, on paper, right? Because one of the things that I that has been a very difficult challenge for me is that I was a type of person who, you know, I was a nerd in school. I was, you know, I, you know, I was trying to do what, you know, I was told in terms of my Islamic practice. I, I practiced my Islam a lot, protecting me from basically getting involved with drugs, alcohol, fornication, these types of things. I'm waiting till I'm married to do certain things. And, and so what, uh, obviously only halal, the drugs, alcohol, obviously you never do that, inshallah. But Allah didn't test me with those types of things. And he tested other people with them, right? So what I learned was that you can't protect yourself from certain tests through obeying Allah. You only can protect your soul. It's not a guarantee, for example, that if you don't commit zina, that, you know, your marriage is going to work out. There's no guarantee that if you strive to be a good wife, that you're not going to be divorced. There's no guarantee that if you do all of the things, quote unquote, right, that things won't turn out, quote unquote, wrong in this world. And I had to learn that, that because I would wake up and I'm thinking, how did I end up here? You know, I did this and I did that. I was making, I got up every night. I didn't disobey my husband. I didn't say no to anything. I couldn't figure it out until, and that's what is significant about the book that I wrote called, What Did You Expect? Lessons on Spiritual Honesty. But I had to learn that Allah had to teach me that what he's saying in the Quran is what I should have been paying attention to. When he's saying, do you think the translation of meaning is do people think that they're going to be left alone and saying they believe and they will not be tested? I think that's one of the most important ayat for us in this generation to understand. You cannot guarantee money and wealth for yourself just because you prayed and you, do, you stay away from haram wealth, you know, or haram jobs. You can't guarantee a long marriage for yourself just because you did everything right. There will be people who committed zina, for example, they make tawbah. They could have been Billah prostitute, but they, they make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the first time they get married, they have the most wonderful marriage and they're with this person until Jannah, right? Another person doesn't do anything like that. And they wait and wait and then they, they are divorced once, twice, more, you know, three times even. And they're like, what's happening? What's happening is this is the dunya. Don't get the dunya mixed up with the akhirah. The rewards of the dunya are not the rewards of the akhirah. So the thing that I would say that if I could make it summarize, I know it's really heavy because it's actually the subject of my whole book, What Did You Expect?, is that I wished the lesson in the Islamic classes and in my life had been emphasized that we are in this world as travelers and the test that you get will not necessarily have anything to do with whether you're a good or bad person. It is just the test paper that Allah has handed you on your customized path to your destiny in the hereafter. And it does not necessarily reflect anything regarding good or bad of you as a person necessarily. That is one of the lessons that I wish my heart understood. It would have taken away so much distress. But unfortunately, we live in a world where even in Islamic classes, we're taught 
what I call, you know, in my book, the sticker system, where like God, we were taught pretty much that God is, and I'm you, I'm being this, I'm saying it in a uh, tongue-in-cheek way, but obviously we don't, I don't mean it literally, but they're teaching people the idea that God is proverbially handing out stickers for good behavior in this world. You do this, you're going to have this good marriage. You do this, you're going to have wealth. You do this, you're going to have this. Okay. But that's not what Allah teaches. He teaches us if you can sell your soul for the good, meaning you exchange, he uses a lot of the terminology that we use for the marketplace. Are you, will you give up this world for the hereafter? Will you give up these relationships for my sake? Will you give up your nafs for my sake? Versus I'm going to get all of these things in this world, the worldly things, and then I'm going to Jannah. We do pray for the khayr in this world and in the hereafter, but the khayr, and this is something that I did not understand until I was tested so deeply over and over. Khair is not synonymous with pleasure. They're not the same thing. And it's not the same as having success in the worldly sense. Khair, goodness to Allah, could be you're suffering a divorce because that's going to bring you closer to him. You're suffering illness because that's going to bring you closer to him. You're going to lose loved ones because that's going to bring you closer to him. You're slandered, backbitten, and that's going to earn you deep. Even in the Quran, when Allah, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this ifk, this huge slander that happened to Aisha and what happened, he says in the Quran that what has been translated to me, do not think this was bad for you. Nay, it's good for you. SubhanAllah. 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 La ilaha illallah. This is what I wish that we could just keep pushing in our Islamic classes, not to give up working for the world. That's not what I mean. And I talk about that in my book too. The point is the result is from Allah. The test is from Allah and it's always for your own good. So don't look at what looks like a failure and think that means you're a failure and don't look at your success and think that means you're a complete success in spiritual and emotional. No, some people have a good happy, wealthy life and marriage because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving them respite until the day of judgment. And that's when they have to face their sins. We have to be very, very careful. But there's also people who have those happy life, good results. They use it as shukr for Allah and they get all the reward. But you can't judge anything in this world, including in your own life, by what your worldly experience is. Because khair, goodness in front of Allah, is not pleasure and happiness always for us. SubhanAllah, that is so true. And just reframing it and putting it like that, because we are living in a world that is well, moving towards seeking pleasure, instant gratification, getting things instantly. That's why we need something that lasts, that doesn't change. And that is the Quran and the promise of Allah. And ultimately, he is the one who defines what success is. And also in Surah Al-Baqarah, we learn that something we see as good might be bad for us and something we think might be bad can be good for us. And we don't know, but he does. Having this good opinion of Allah, knowing that whatever he is testing us with is ultimately for our own good is so powerful. So thank you so much for sharing that. No problem. Alhamdulillah. It took me years of suffering to realize it. But yeah, Alhamdulillah. And I also wanted to add that the answer to the last question resonated deeply with me as well, because oftentimes I used to ponder and I used to think to myself, once you go through one test and then you go through another test and then another test, 
and then I always think to myself you know when you look at other people and they're all like they don't seem to be tested in the dunya and then you see that they've got the perfect life so-called perfect life behind closed door it might be completely different but you know it always used to make me question everything but then when I realized that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests the people that whom he loves the most when I finally came to grasp with that and accepted that that's when I realized that this dunya like what you said earlier we're just travelers through this dunya it's our akhirah our eternal life that we should be focusing on and working towards and striving towards that every single day some of the things that you mentioned the tests that you've gone through it not only makes you stronger but you gain more knowledge you get gain more wisdom and it's something that you can definitely say that it's something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested you with and like i said when everything's written and everything was in the preserved tablet then we came onto the earth so everything was already written beforehand so subhanallah it's uh, yes, so powerful yes. that you what, what you said sister umzakia thank you so much for sharing that oh, no problem alhamdulillah and i want to add one point to that and i also want to i think i i saw this post online i think it was by mashallah i think it was amina muhammad diggins mashallah very powerful influential businesswoman a muslim businesswoman in inspire online and she said don't wish for someone's heaven meaning what all the successes that you see them having when you don't know the hell that they had to go through to get it i thought that was so powerful because also i think it's very important to realize that what we see externally is not necessarily the actual experience of the person going through it like for example there are people who have wealth and i've seen this from non-muslim influencers i think it was jim ron he said something was so powerful in one of his books about building wealth he said that we spend our life in poverty striving to get rich he said and then once we get rich we just spend all our lives and our money searching for the happiness that we had when we were poor and so what happens a lot of times is that the very things that we think will bring us this happiness and peace bring us more torment and stress in worldly matters sometimes people feel more distressed and depressed and more problems once they get money once they there and some people actually spend their life they're they're waiting for this wonderful marriage and to the world is this wonderful marriage but they are in absolute misery and i'm not talking about necessarily abuse and all of this i'm talking about people in or sometimes in spaces where they don't even understand why they're feeling this way and when i think of this i think of the ayats in ali imran if i'm not mistaken ayah 186 where allah says that he's going to test us within our own nafs like you're he's going to give us a test he's going to test us with wealth or losing losing wealth all these things but there's a part in the quran i think it's more than once he mentions it and but this is the part i believe uh, that i recall from ali imran where it stuck to, with me and i read through the quran many times in ramadan over the years and all of these things but i never understood i never paused on that ayah until i was facing a trial and i didn't understand why am i feeling this way and allah made me see that ayah for the first time in that way that he's going to test you within your anfusih within yourself it's not just okay this is going to cause me a trial sometimes he will literally insert a trial inside of your own nafs and now you have he's going to see how you deal with it Allah and astaghfirullah if I'm um, forgetting the exact ayah because I don't remember if it was saying fi anfusikum or fi anfusihim I don't remember if he was directly talking to us or about us but subhanallah 
And I think that's important to realize that sometimes Allah writes down for us, okay, you're going to get the wealth, you're going to get that marriage, you're going to get that job, you're going to get what it is. But I'm going to now decree that now the test inside of your nafs is going to hit the most difficult time that you've ever had in your life. So we have to be very, very careful that when we're wishing for certain things in this world and we're thinking that other people have it easier, that truly they could be going through the most difficult time of their life. SubhanAllah, thank you so much for sharing that ayah. I just looked it up. It's 186. Okay, alhamdulillah. The end is so powerful. The translation is, if you are steadfast and mindful of Allah, that is the best course. SubhanAllah. Wow, he gave us the solution. SubhanAllah. May Allah help us upon that. Well, there you go, everyone. Sister Um Zakia shared truly valuable gems with us, and we truly hope that you all benefited from this episode. Make sure to check out our other episodes that are on our YouTube channel, and be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes and videos when we upload. And lastly, always remember taking steps in healthy increments is the way towards goal achievement.